Welcome to College Football Live. Developing story coming out today. Michigan could be without head coach Jim Harbaugh for the first four games of the season as a result of recruiting violations during the COVID-19 dead period. Michigan and the NCAA are still negotiating a resolution after a long investigation into Michigan coaches having contact with recruits when they weren't allowed to and then not being truthful about the violations. The investigation is also looking into Harbaugh's cooperation with NCAA enforcement during that time. Now, as you can see here, Michigan's first four games of the season are all at home. They face ECU, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers all in Ann Arbor. The teams that are, the four teams are combined 23 and 27 last season. All right, welcome into College Football Live. Once again, I'm Christine Williamson, joined by Tom Luganbilla. Always great to see you, Tom. Um, I'm going to start with that developing story coming out today. What is your reaction oh. and what is the impact with them possibly losing Jim Harbaugh for the first four games? Well, my reaction is when you see level one and level two violations, obviously that's going to draw attention. And what we saw with the Arizona State scenario uh, as it related to improper contact with uh, players during the COVID lockdown, I, it just it can't get any worse than that when you're when you're making those types of, of interactions. I, I, you know, listen, the first four games of the season, it, it looks like a slap on the wrist from a university perspective because, you know, you go into those games with significant personnel and talent advantages. So if that was what, what ends up being, you know, the interim penalty, that's fine. I don't think we know, as with most NCAA uh, investigations, I don't think we know the full extent of the subject matter. So we'll probably have to wait and see how that thing plays out. But you look at those highlighted teams right there. I think the most important thing is that if this does occur, you got to minimize any schedule changes and any changes in the day-to-day -day of your football team. Your players and their schedule and their routine have to come first to minimize any type of distractions that could impact their ability on the field. Yeah, we'll definitely keep you guys updated with everything coming out of Ann Arbor. All right, we are 37 days away from ACC football kicking off. But today, the ACC football kickoff in Charlotte, North Carolina. Three days of coverage. Day one features four teams, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and Syracuse. So we're going to get into some storylines heading into this college football season as it pertains to the ACC. There will no longer be Atlantic or Coastal Divisions. Instead, the top two teams in conference win percentage will advance to the championship game. The league also moved to a 3-5-5 scheduling model, which means that each team will have three permanent rivalries and then play the other 10 opponents twice in four seasons. Clemson, the reigning champ once again. The Tigers have won the ACC in seven of the last eight seasons and eight times under Dabo Sweeney. And it's the conference of quarterbacks. Six teams return to their starting quarterbacks from last season, including Heisman hopefuls Drake May and Jordan Travis. Their commissioner talked earlier on non-conference games. You get into the competitive ACC season and it's a little bit of a cannibalization. So your point of differentiation I think for all conferences ends up being the non-conference games. And so we have to get off to a really good start. It doesn't uh, negate having a really good season if you don't, but if you stumble once or twice, it's really difficult to overcome that. So I'm really excited about it. I've had a chance to you know, really dig in this summer about our rosters and you know, Florida State and Clemson getting a lot of opportunities. I think we have a bunch of others that can also get off to a good start and show that the league is a really, really good football league. And, you know, I mentioned in my remark about the CFP, I just think sometimes it's lost because of whatever narrative's out there. We're second most in titles and appearances in the CFP. And I think that equates 
in modern-day football to having success. Non-conference game certainly important. And welcome Eric McLean to the show. EMAC in Charlotte, North Carolina for ACC football kickoff. Um, EMAC, I'm going to start with you because you were, like I said, you were in Charlotte. Uh, you were there when Jim Phillips was speaking. What is your reaction to what he had to say about non-conference? Yeah, Christine, I mean, it's, it's always important, you know, those massive games. That's when you can set the tone. That's when you can really change the narrative about your conference and especially about your team. You go out in these massive games, you look at Florida State, the things that they're going to be facing with LSU. That first game, there's no preseason. you got to be ready to go and, and ready early. But there's a handful of those games throughout the league that can shape and, and really create the narrative for the ACC. It is vital for them to win that to get off to a hot start. Yeah, Luz, I'm going to go to you on this one uh, also because a lot of people, you know, they say that the ACC isn't stronger than other conferences. What is your reaction? Why should they play these? Why are these non-conference games so important for them? Well, you know, I think it's a message uh, from the commissioner. You need Miami to beat Texas A&M. You need North Carolina to beat South Carolina. I think this conference is very, very similar to the Pac-12. And I would agree with the commissioner's comments in terms of cannibalizing itself. There's tremendous top-to-bottom competitiveness and if you come into the season let's just say you have a fairly high preseason ranking well what happens is if you don't win that big early non-conference game teams start to fade away and they fall back and it can be difficult to regain that so aside from Clemson in the last you know 10 12 13 years they need some other teams in the conference a North Carolina like I mentioned a Miami like I mentioned to get off to a fast start so you remain relevant as you start to get into conference play. Okay, so Lugs just mentioned it. Emac, you played there. Clemson has been absolutely dominant in this conference and in college football as a whole. Does the ACC still run through Clemson? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, when you look at this team and, and how proven they are, uh, responding right now is it's at an all-time high. When you look at what Dabo Sweeney did this offseason, arguably the biggest shockwave sent through college football by going and hiring the OC, the one the Royals Award winner. You know, when you see Garrett Riley, his offense, the thing that he can do. And then, of course, Kate Klubnick is now the quarterback. That's been my biggest critique for Clemson these last couple of years is the quarterback play has not equaled the level that Clemson is used to seeing. That is back now. When you add that stout defense that is going to be electric in year two with Wes Goodwin, two of the best linebackers in the entire country, that uh, they're going to be biting at the, uh, the bit there to get back and to get rolling at a high level. You know, Eric, it's interesting because, you know, you get that question, is, is, is it somebody else's turn now? Listen, Clemson is the top dog until they're not, right? And you look at what's, right. uh, what's taken place with them over the last couple of years. I totally agree with you at the quarterback spot. Let's call it what it is. They had hit on three quarterbacks in a row, Taj Boyd, Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence. And you know what? They finally missed on one. That happens, and it happens more often than you think. Now it looks like they're back on track with Cade Klubnik. I love the new offensive approach. I think you're going to see far more explosive plays. I think you're going to see a better fast pace. It's going to help the run game. And I think it's going to allow the quarterback to play free and just move the ball down the field. And the defense is absolutely loaded. Let's not forget, this was a team that struggled at quarterback, but still won 11 games, 10 games. Everybody's acting like the sky is falling. <laughs> Now, has Florida State closed the gap a little bit? Is Florida State getting better? Absolutely they are. But let's see, let's see it happen on the field.
Uh, I love that. I love that the conversation was about Clemson having a down year, and the bar was so high. So you could kind of say that about Clemson, but I mean the bar is so high that yep. when they're a little bit under it, it's not actually that bad. Okay, so let's get back to the new scheduling format. I want to remind everyone: the league moved to a three-five-five scheduling model, which means that each team will have three permanent rivalries, then play the other ten opponents opponents twice in four seasons. Emac, you played in the ACC. Uh, how do you think that this will impact the season? I love it. I mean, I think, number one, as a student athlete, you get to see all the great places within the ACC. That was something that, unfortunately, I didn't get to do. There was a handful of schools that I never played, you know, because of the old school formatting that we had. But the most important thing is you get your two best teams in Charlotte playing for a championship and not just one playoff spot, but maybe two. We saw when the ACC adopted this in 2020, Clemson, Notre Dame played each other twice and then still both got into the playoff. And I think that's the perfect dream, right? That's what you want to see when you have your best foot forward. If you do essentially get a Clemson and FSU twice, uh, if they split, it'll be very hard to keep either one of them out of the playoff. Yeah, and Eric, the other thing that I like about this is that they put a time limit on it before they go back and maybe reshuffle. And it's smart because you know the coaches are always going to complain about who their, their three permanent are. Well, why do we got to play those three and they play those three? Well, you don't know, right, what a program is going to be two, three, four years from now. And all of a sudden what you think might not be a very strong slate becomes a very strong slate or vice versa. So they reshuffle the deck after a period of time, which I think is really smart. All right, it'll certainly be very interesting to see how those changes impact the ACC. All right, as we know, ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips was AD at Northwestern from 2008 to 2021. Today, he also addressed the allegations of hazing at the school. Take a listen to this. I do want to briefly address the ongoing matter at Northwestern, as I'm sure some of you have questions. As you are aware, I released a statement last week. This is a very difficult time for the Northwestern community, and my heart goes out to any person who carries the burden of mistreatment or who has been harmed in any way. During my 30-year career in college athletics, my highest priority has always been the health and safety of all student-athletes. As you know, with this matter in litigation, I'm unable to share anything more at this time. Coming up, return of the U. It's year two under Marielle Cristobal. Just how far away are we from seeing a return to the Miami of old? And it will be a homecoming this fall on the gridiron as both Jeff Brom and Brent Key return to help revive their alma maters. What will they need to do coming up after the break? A beautiful day in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the ACC football kickoff is underway. Three days of coverage. Day one features four teams, Georgia Tech, Louisville, 
Syracuse and those Miami Hurricanes who are looking to rebound after finishing their worst season since 2007. Also going 5-7, and seven, Mario Cristobal is changing things up with a new offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Shannon Dawson and new defensive coordinator Lance Guidry. Now, on the offensive side, Tyler Van Dyke will look to return to Coral Gables and improve off of a down season as the Hurricanes starting quarterback, finishing with a 52.9 total QBR and 10 passing touchdowns, both ranking eighth among 14 qualified QBs in the ACC. On defense, Miami returns All-American Cameron Kitchens at safety, where he will look to build off of a six-interception season, which is tied for third most in the FBS. Second-year head coach Mario Cristobal talked to the media today. As a player and as a coach, we, you know, we had the opportunity to win a lot of games, a lot of championships, and we were brought back to get it back on the national prominence level. And that doesn't happen overnight, but it does require your best effort and tremendous toughness, mental toughness and resiliency. And I think we have more and more of that in the building. We have more and more high caliber professionals, elite mentalities that are willing to work. Just, just work. You know, there's no magic potion. I feel a lot better about the level of competition at each position, which really drives the culture. So there's a lot of things I feel better about, but I just I feel great about just starting practice. We just want to get to work. All right, since Larry Coker left Miami, they haven't had much continuity at the head coaching position. The last two coaches have not spent more than three seasons at the U. Cristobal is coming off of a five and seven season, his worst since his time at FIU. Now, I need you guys to be very gentle with me. It has been a long offseason for Miami, obviously, as we talked about. As I mentioned, there's been a lot of overturn both on the roster and on the coaching staff. Luke, I'm going to start with you. Uh, what do you think is the biggest step that this team and that Mario Cristobal has made during the offseason? I think it's the fact that he knows this team, this culture, this program so much vastly more than he did a year ago at this time. And I think he made the environment at Miami very, very difficult for everybody involved on purpose. He wants to see who's going to grind. He wanted to see who was going to work. He wanted to see who had, as he referenced, toughness, mental toughness, the work habits to be a great program that it takes to be a championship caliber program. They were riddled with injuries a year ago. I think he realized that maybe he made some mistakes within the staff and there wasn't the synergy that he needed to have uh, within the building. But you, you hear him talk about those elite mentalities and those worker mentalities that he feels like he has more of now. So I would expect a significant improvement in the overall synergy of this football team this fall. Uh, that lower third really hurts me. I was there in 2007 as a student athlete at University of Miami. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, things are going really great for us alums. Uh, EMAC, I mentioned all of the changes that they had on the coaching staff. What do you make of those changes? Yeah, well, the thing I'm really excited about is bringing in defensive coordinator Coach G. I mean, he is so exotic in the things that he wants to do. He's going to show you something on one side, bring it from the other. You look at Marshall's defense last couple of seasons. That was a top five defense last year, getting after the quarterback, preventing the run, defensive efficiencies, all kinds of great numbers and metrics that you love to see. Now he gets to do it in the big leagues. Now he gets to do it in the ACC with all Americans, with first-round prospects, with all these guys and talent that Miami has. And I cannot wait to see that. 
on the offensive side of the ball, you know, what was so strange, and Luke, you just alluded to it with maybe making some, some hires that just didn't quite work out. They tried to run a pro-heavy system last year. They didn't have the bodies to do it. You didn't have an offensive line that was ready. You didn't have the skill players that were ready. Now you change coordinators. They're going to fit the mold. Tyler Van Dyke is ready to go, man. I've been talking to him all day here at Media Day and am jacked up to see the season he's going to put together. Eric, the reason why I love this hire offensively is I think it gets back to what made Tyler Van Dyke a household name. It gets back to fast pace, yes. spread you out, get the ball out of your hand, just turn him loose. That's exactly what Rhett Lashley did with him. Don't ask him to think. Don't ask him to overcomplicate. Let's snap the ball. Let's get moving. Let's run downhill. Let's get the ball out of my hand. I think that's what's going to create a comfort level for him to get back to what we saw two years ago. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about TVD very shortly, but one thing that we love to say about this Miami team every single season is they are back this year. Uh, every single year they have a, a new quarterback that we're very excited about and excited to watch. Uh, but, Lugs, I'm going to ask you this question. When you think about this Miami team in this up upcoming season, do you feel like they're going to make a big jump or do you feel like there's a possibility for us to be let down once again? I, I think they will make a Big jump because I think Mario Cristobal and the staff knows a lot more about who they can count on. And the guys that decided to stay are going to buy in and do it the way that he wants to do it. So I think that's a real positive from a locker room and inside the building uh, type of perspective. And let's not, listen, they got athletes. They got guys. They're going to be able to rush the passer. They listen to Eric talk about how they're going to approach things on defense. And I don't think that they will have the injury bug hit them the way it did a year ago. I really don't. If they avoid that, they're going to be a pretty good football team. Yeah, it takes a little luck sometimes, Lukes, right? You, you just got to not have people yep. get hurt. And, and one even, you know, kind of bigger point to, to all of that is the offensive line is revamped, retooled, and they are very excited about it. That was the first thing that Coach Cristobal said to me this morning when he saw me walk into the room. You're going to like this offensive line. You're going to like the pieces that we put together. You go out and get JV and Cohen from Alabama, an all-SEC caliber player. Matt Lee, the center from UCF, a PFF, had them ranked as the number one center in college football add to the pieces that Miami already had. I'm excited to see that offensive line, see them thrive, and two of the highest rated offensive linemen they've ever gotten. They had those guys last year. I bet we yep. see them play early and often. Lugs, you mentioned the fact that Miami had the injury bug last season. One of those players that was injured was TBD. He spoke to the media earlier today. Take a listen. Definitely tough. Um, you know, everything went the way we didn't want it to go. Um, but yeah, looking back on it, uh, those next two, three weeks um, before I got hurt, um, that was some of my, my best games. And I think that happened for a reason. I'm still here, uh, still love being a Miami Hurricane. And um, I think it made me a better human being and a, a better football player. Yep, it's great to be a Miami Hurricane. Lugs, you talked about him a little bit a little bit ago. Uh, do you expect him to live up to the hype? Yeah, I do. I think he'll get back on track. And probably the main reason is because I think he's confident again. Um, had a chance to broadcast one of their games last year, a game in which they lost to North Carolina, but he played lights out. But you could tell that he just didn't seem confident in what they were doing, what they were asking him to do. He was down weapons due to the injuries. And I think he got down on himself a little bit, got beat up, took some shots, got injured. And now you start to reevaluate things, right? Well, what does Mario Cristobal do? you got to go recruit your own roster now. He prevents Tyler Van Dyke from going elsewhere, keeps him in the building and says, Tyler, we want you to be a part of this deal. We want you to be a part of what this offensive system is going to be 
What are you comfortable with? How can we make you the best Tyler Van Dyke? Tyler Van Dyke stayed. He stays healthy. I think you're going to see an outstanding version of him. Believe me, Miami football fans and alums are crossing their fingers that it works out this season. <laughs> All right, there will be some very familiar faces on the campuses of Louisville and Georgia Tech coming up next. We'll discuss how both coaches are looking to revive their alma maters. Coming out today, Michigan could be without head coach Jim Harbaugh for the first four games of the season as a result of recruiting violations during the COVID-19 dead period. Michigan and the NCAA are still negotiating a resolution after a long investigation into Michigan coaches having contact with recruits when they weren't allowed to and then not being truthful about the violations. The investigation is also looking into Harbaugh's cooperation with NCAA enforcement during that time. As you can see, Michigan's first four games of the season are all at home. They face ECU, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers all in Ann Arbor. The four teams were a combined 23 and 27 last season. Elsewhere in college football, Jeff Brom is back in Louisville, this time as the head coach. He played quarterback for the Cardinals from 1989 to 1993 and was an assistant coach for the program from 2003 to 2008. He was at Purdue prior to being hired in December of last year. He spoke to the media earlier today at ACC football kickoff. Well, it's kind of like going back for a high school reunion. You know, you know a lot of familiar faces, a lot of happy people that uh, are fired up to see you. But in the end, they want to see a, a team win. They want to see team play at a high level, win championships. They want to be a part of it. So I just think, I think I have a pretty good pulse of what this town wants, uh, the style of football it wants to see play, uh, and how competitive a team they want to see on the field. So it's going to be up to me and my staff and obviously our football team in order to provide that. But I think we got a good nucleus of guys that uh, work hard. They want to win at a high level, and uh, we want to go out there and compete every day. And it's not just him. Rom is one of four family members to be a football letter winner at the school, but he was pretty good as he was the only one with his number retired. We got Tom Luganville here. We got Eric McLean, who is in Charlotte, North Carolina for ACC football kickoff. Uh, I'm going to start with you on this EMAC because, I mean, I just mentioned all of his accolades. He's from, he's been a Louisville quarterback, so there's no pressure at all. Uh, what are your expectations for him in Louisville? Man, the excitement, first of all, to have Coach Brom back is at an all-time high. I mean, I know everybody, when you get a new coach, you're jacked up, you're juiced, but this town is going nuts. I mean, to have their, you know, one of their sons back, a Louisville guy through and through, born there, lived there, played there, now the head coach, and, and he understands that responsibility. He understands what it's going to take to bring them back and to get them relevant and to win football games. So expectation-wise, I think you're going to have a guy that is coaching his tail off, that is trying to win, uh, you know, at, at all costs within the game of football and to get it done for his city. Uh, when you see the way that they're getting on the recruiting trip, it's impressive to see, but everyone knows that end game at the end of the season against Kentucky, circle it 100 times because that is at an all-time high emphasis-wise. Yeah, you know, I think the timing of, of this marriage couldn't have come at a better time because if you look at the investment Louisville's made, uh, particularly in their athletic facilities as it relates to football just over the last two to three years, this is, this is outstanding when it comes to name, image, and likeness. This is outstanding when it comes to transfer portal, high school recruiting. You are, you are sending a message of what Louisville wants to be and what they're committed to do uh, to, to get there. And then I think secondly, offensively, this is a tried and true scheme. Um, you know, obviously born of a lot of Bobby Petrino 
uh, the, the architect of it, but it's worked everywhere. They have scored points everywhere. They move the chains like crazy. So I think that's a real positive. What has the fan base re-energized? Everybody's really, really excited. But you know what might be the most important thing to start his tenure off? Is who they don't play in their schedule. <laughs> that's right. They don't play North Carolina, Florida State, or Clemson. So if you want to get, get off to a hot start, get everything buzzing, right? Schedule, schedule, schedule. I think it's a great opportunity for Louisville this fall. I 100% agree with you, brother. When you see that, that's the first thing that I noted. And, and you never want to call anything easy, right? It's not an easy schedule, but it is favorable. And, and to right. not have those three that have been relatively dominant in the ACC in this last couple of tenures here, that's a massive first year and a lot of opportunity for Louisville, especially because there's no divisions. You just got to be the first or second best team. Yeah. I also want to mention that Jack Plummer did play for head coach Brom uh, when he was at Purdue for a little bit. So it will definitely be interesting yep. to see how they're able to do offensively. All right. Another guy returning home. That is Georgia Tech's Brent Key. Uh, they removed the interim tag from his him in November. The latest highlight in Key's return to his alma mater. He led the Yellow Jackets to a 4-4 four and four record after taking over in September despite injuries to his top two quarterbacks. The former offensive lineman was a team captain in all ACC honor as a senior in 2000. Let's listen to him uh, earlier today on ACC Media Day. Expectations? I don't even know who the start quarterback is. So it's hard to put expectations on what we saw. But my expectations, they go out every single day and do the best they possibly can to improve. That's our expectations. Our expectations is to go play clean football. Our expectation is to be disciplined. Our expectation is to be the toughest team on the field every week we play. Our expectation is the next week after we have a game on tape, they turn the film on and they say, damn, I don't want to play that team. All right, that's how I want our team to play. That's how I want us to cover kicks on special teams. That's how I wanted us to stop the run and run the football. That's my expectation. All right, I know that these guys are. I know they're tough. I know they're smart. All right, we got to show it on the field. We got to play collectively. We got to play together. All right, that's my expectations. If we do all those things, we put those things together, we'll have the outcomes that we want. I love uh, the gold paisley print tie. All right, Lugs, I'm going to start with you on this one now. You are a Georgia Tech alum. Do you think that he is the right guy to take this program forward? Absolutely, I do. And every expectation that he just listed there was everything this program was not until he took charge. Now, our crew had this team twice in the first three weeks of the season. They were an absolute mess. They could not get out of their own way. They would self-implode, self-destruct, however you want to describe them. It was not a well-coached football team, well-prepared football team on game day. All of a sudden, they go with Brent Key as the interim, and this team started to become competitive, started to eliminate those mistakes. And I think the other reason why he's the right fit is he can embrace and understands intimately what the challenges are at Georgia Tech. He's been a part of it as a coach, a part of it as a student athlete. Uh, he's well-respected. And I think he will, you know, for lack of that phrase of changing the culture, I think he will change the culture. There are challenges there. There's no question about it. But how that team ended, he earned that job through on-field performance, taking a team that could barely get a first down at times in the first few weeks to making them competitive by week 13. That's absolutely right, Lugs. And it's interesting enough when you ask those players that are here for media day and said, listen, you guys were faced with a big time decision here. Coach gets fired in the middle of the season. You could either sulk in it, be sad about it, 
or you can man up and, and do something about it. I said, how did you make that decision? How was all your energy you know, focused on the ladder there? They said, Coach Key, he forced it out of us. He pulled it out of us and just helped us believe at a different level. And I think everything you said about him understanding it at an integral level, listen, nobody can do anything. He can't ask them to do anything that he hasn't already done 10 times. I mean, he was a team captain, all ACC yep. performer at this university. He gets it. He understands it. He's the perfect guy for the job. I was very excited when Coach Key was named the head coach for Georgia Tech. Yep, Key went 4-4 four and four last season as an interim head coach, as you mentioned, Lugs, and the Yellow Jackets finished 5-7 and seven on the season. EMAC, you're in Charlotte, of course. You're going to be leaving us here very shortly. Do not go too far because you'll be back later in the show. Elsewhere in the college football world, AAC Football Media Days tipped off yesterday and wrapped today in Arlington, Texas. A lot of questions surrounding the league. Now, Tom Herman will be entering his first season as head coach at FAU. His last stint as head coach was at the University of Texas from 2017 to 2020. He's 54 and 22 as a head coach in the FBS. He spoke to the media. Take a listen. They want to win, and it reminds me so much uh, of our, our first year at, at the University of Houston. You know, you're dealing with two-star, no-star guys with a chip on their shoulder. I, I like to use the word rugged. Rugged. We got rugged dudes on our team. They have made coaching fun again, and uh, I appreciate them for that. So thank you. Another newbie head coach to a new program in the AAC, Trent Dilfer, who doesn't have much head coaching experience, but was given the reins to UAB, a team who has been tabbed to finish eighth in the conference in the preseason poll. He also spoke to the media earlier today. So this is no harder than football's ever been. It's different. It's different for the guys that have been doing it. And I think I have a distinct advantage. I haven't been doing it. So they have an old model. Right? They have an old model that's been disrupted. And they're like, holy crap, our little blankie college football that we knew how to manipulate has now been stolen from us. How do I go to sleep at night? And I'm like, I don't have blankie. So Dilfer and Herman are two of seven new head coaches in the American Athletic Conference this season. That's the most new head coaches in any conference. Six of the seven hires have offensive-focused backgrounds. Four of the coaches, including Dilfer, do not have prior collegiate head coaching experience. All right, Luke, so looking at the list of new head coaches, who do you think is primed for the most success this season? Um, I would probably say it's either North Texas or Florida Atlantic in relationship to what those two teams inherited, right? Neither program was an absolute dumpster fire. Both teams have a ton of experience. And Eric Morris comes over after a successful stand at Incarnate Word, then moves up to Washington State with his quarterback Cameron Ward as the offensive coordinator and takes over a team that's got 18 returning starters. Now, there's a lot of work to be done there. But the other thing, too, is both of these teams have quarterbacks, okay, that were successful at other places transferring in. And I think that's important to note as well. So both of those football teams, and Tom Herman, I think he's right about some of the athletes that he's got on that football team. He also has an all-conference performer at running back. And the wideouts for both of these teams on offense should provide for a lot of explosive plays. Yeah, a lot of expectations for both of those coaches as they head into the season. All right, guys, don't go anywhere. We got some over or under. We'll go through some ACC win totals next. Plus, Tulane captured the American title last year. Who can challenge them in 2023? College Football Live rolls on after the break. 
until the ACC football season kicks off. But today, the ACC football kickoff in Charlotte, North Carolina. Three days of coverage. Day one features four teams, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and Syracuse. So we're going to take a look at the four teams that are at ACC football kickoff today and give some ACC win totals brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook. We're going to start with the Miami Hurricanes. Over, under, seven and a half wins. Emac, what you got? Yeah, I'm going over. Uh, you know, I think this team is going to really revamp. When you look at that offensive line play that I mentioned, I think that's a big piece of this success. But offensive coordinator coming in, everything Lugs and I were going back and forth about Tyler Van Dyke being comfortable in this offense. Don't ask too much from him. Just allow him to be the quarterback that we know he can be. This favor, favorable schedule here. The big ticket, though, September 9th, Texas A&M. That's a massive statement game for the ACC. It's a big statement game, but overall, the really the schedule for them that will define them starts on October 14th. And you look at the road schedule on the back half of the season. So I'm taking the over because I think that they have eight plus win talent on that roster. I don't think they'll have the injury bug hit them as we talked about the, the shift in scheme and philosophy on both sides of the ball. So I'm going to take the over on that one, too. But the back half of the schedule scares me. All right, let's take a look at one of their opponents this season. That is Louisville over under eight wins this season, Emac. Yeah, this one, eight's just a little bit too big for me. I'm going to go under. There's a lot of question marks with Louisville in regards to the offensive firepower that they have, quarterback play, offensive line. There's a lot of new faces. So I've got them right at seven. Uh, so by the rules of the game, I'm going under here, Luke's. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm going under. I want to take the over because, as we talked about in our last segment, the schedule really benefits them. I just don't know if they have the overall talent base within their roster to be an eight-plus win team. Maybe it will happen if they steal one here or there. And again, no North Carolina, no Clemson, and no Florida State. All right, we talked a little Georgia Tech football earlier. Obviously, they have a new head coach in Brent Key. Georgia Tech over under four and a half wins. Lugs, I'll start with you on this one. I would take the over if I liked their non-conference schedule better. The fact that they've got to play Ole Miss and they've got to play Georgia bothers me a little bit. And I'm going to go under here, even though I think that they will be a better coach, better version of what they were a year ago. But they would have to go on the road and steal one for Miami, go on the road and somehow steal one uh, for Clemson. And then, oh, by the way, win the games that you quote unquote know you're going to be competitive in. So. I like them more, but I have to take the under. I'm right there with you, Luz. Isn't that so hard to justify? I think this team, as you said, is going to be better. I think they're going to be coached better. I think they're going to play harder. But the schedule, unfortunately, is daunting. When you anybody, you see Clemson yeah. and Georgia on the schedule, it's not going to be favorable. So I'm going <laughs> under as well. But as you yeah. said, I think this is going to be a better football team. Okay, before we get to our next team, we're going to hear from their head coach, Dino Babers. Talked about Syracuse's expectations this season earlier today. Take a listen. The leadership group on this team is extremely strong, and they're given an opportunity uh, based off of what happened last year to continue that legacy. These guys are locked in. These guys are focused, and they want to do some things that haven't been done in a long time at Syracuse University. Whether they're able to do that, well, we're going to have to wait and see. So we haven't talked about Syracuse yet today, uh, but over under six and a half wins for Syracuse, Lukes. I'm going over. I think they're going to be exactly what they were a, a year ago. I think they've got the chance to be a seven-win team. Um, I do anticipate that 
they're going to be healthier at quarterback, more productive, um, might be thinner in terms of depth, in terms of guys that have played. They are going to lose a significant portion of run production. But I, I think that he'll coach these guys up, and if the quarterback stays healthy, if you look at, at their road contest, they need to steal that Purdue game. They really do. That has to be a win for them to get them into the back half of the season and not have that slide as they've had in years past off of fast starts. Lugs, I'm going over as well, but how about this stretch right here? Clemson at North Carolina, at Florida State, at Virginia Tech. I mean, I don't know who they ticked off, yeah. uh, but they did, and here they are with this schedule. I think everything that you said about quarterback play is 100% accurate. They will go as Garrett Schrader goes, and of course his weapon in a Ronde Gadsden, the hybrid player, if you will, tight end, wide receiver. I just know he's a ball player. They're going to line him up. They're going to be unique with motions, formations, get him out in space, look for him to have another massive year in Syracuse to go bowling back-to-back -back seasons. Well, Emac, uh, you're leaving us now for good. Have so much fun in Charlotte uh, and covering the ACC football media kickoff, and we'll see you later. Appreciate see you, you guys always. All right, coming up on College Football Live, Tulane football riding high into 2023 after a great end to the 22 campaign. How will they handle the additional pressure that comes with it? We'll talk about it. Arlington, Texas, it's day two of AAC Media Day, which will be wrapping up today. The winners of the conference last season had an incredible ending to their season when Tulane took down USC in the Cotton Bowl, and they did it by turning a 15-point deficit into a one-point defeat, scoring 16 points in the final four minutes of the and three seconds of regulation. That ended in a six-yard touchdown pass with nine seconds to go. That plus the extra point put the nail in the coffin. They were in Ireland, Arlington today. Now, here are the expectations for Tulane. Once again, they're high this season. The Green Wave were picked to repeat as American Athletic Conference champs in today's media poll. Four other teams received at least one first place vote. That's UTSA, SMU, Memphis, and UAB. Three of the six schools joining the league this season were predicted to finish in the top half. So obviously they ended their season on a bang. We know how big the expectations were for USC and they were able to pull off that win, Lugs. Let's talk about expectations for this team that se this season. Uh, what are yours for Tulane? That they won't have a significant drop-off. Now, we're going to find out in some areas where their depth is going to be challenged. Obviously, Tajay Spears, the running back, was a load carrier. He's no longer there. Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, the two linebackers on defense that were unbelievably productive when it comes to tackling and just being tackling machines, they're now gone. So the question is, when you're developing and building this program uh, with, with Willie Fritz, is the guys that replace them, have you gotten talented enough to where you see minimal drop-off with the next iteration? They've got two new coordinators, actually three, I think, in all three phases, so a bit of staff turnover, but they've also got a lot of returning components. Virtually the entire defense outside of Anderson and Williams uh, are back. You know they're going to be able to run the football. And the quarterback, Michael Pratt, is really, really good. He's extremely efficient, extremely accurate, and he's a much better athlete than people give him credit for. So I don't think we'll see a lot of drop-off. I think the biggest thing is how do you now deal and manage with new expectations? And all of a sudden, you're not going to sneak up on everybody, and you're not going to go into everybody's schedule, and they're going to circle that as a W. Now you're a challenge. How does your team respond to that?
Uh, you talk about new expectations. Let's go to another team in the AAC that does have some new expectations. UTSA was voted second in the AAC preseason poll in their first season in the conference, which is, of course, a good way to start things off. Head coach Jeff Trailer talked about what they need to stay competitive. Take a listen to this. Making sure we're competitive. It's so hard in college football to keep momentum. It's hard to get it going at all, but it sure as heck hard to keep it going. And now that you're going to this new league, uh, I think it's very important that we continue to push, that we just keep pressing. And uh, I always want to come across as grateful. I do, because I don't want my, my athletic director, Dr. Compost, mad at me. Uh, but at the same time, it's important our boosters know, you know, we need them. Uh, we're going to need checks, and we're going to need big checks to stay competitive. Because uh, let's be honest, NIL is real. And we've, our, our collectives have done a fantastic job, 210 City fans, 210inspired.org, runners rising. But we, we got to keep pushing uh, to stay competitive. I like that he just came out and said that. We need money, you guys, to stay competitive in this conference <laughs> and in, the, in college football this season. Okay, so obviously uh, this team is new to the AAC. What are your expectations, and how do you expect their transition to go? I think it will be a rather smooth transition. I think the expectations are high, and they should be high. I would anticipate them making a very similar transition to the conference the way that UCF and Cincinnati did when they entered the conference and, and began to not only be competitive once they arrived, but to start to take the conference over. And, you know, you, you take a look at them just from a recruiting base perspective, and we heard him talking about name, image, and likeness and being able to compete with the, with the, with the big boys. This is a program that's going to have access to players um, within a 30, 35-mile radius in, in any direction to, to build their program. So I, I think that's a distinct uh, advantage as well. Obviously, they won Conference USA last season, so big expectations for them in the AAC. I want to talk about the fact that they lost Zakari Franklin. He went to Ole Miss, and as a transfer, he was tied for second in the FBS last year with 15 receiving touchdowns. How huge is that loss for this team? Well, I'd rather lose a wide out than lose my quarterback. So with Frank Harris coming back, I, I think that's probably a better scenario than vice versa. But to be honest with you, they have other wide outs. Three of the four guys, he being the fourth, are all back. I think losing Sincere McCormick, the running back, might be a bigger loss than losing Franklin just because this was such a run-heavy, physical, downhill football team that had a presence at running back. So again, like I said with Tulane, We'll see what their replacements are. And if there's minimal drop-off in ability level, then the transition moving up in conference and level of competition will be minimized. It'll certainly be very exciting to see them in the AAC this season. We'll see what they're able to do. All right, the NFL's Back Together weekend is happening again with all 32 NFL teams practicing at their individual training camp sites. And Saturday, the NFL Live crew will have coverage from every one of them, from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on ESPN and from 1 to 3 Eastern on ABC. Back Together weekend is also available on ESPN and the ESPN app and NFL Network. Seven days away from the ACC season kicking off today, the ACC football kickoff in Charlotte, North Carolina. We got three days of coverage coming out of there, and ACC media days continue tomorrow at Duke, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Virginia are scheduled each for Wednesday. They're going to preview Pitt's tenure while quarterback counterparts Riley Leonard, Jordan Travis, and Tony Musket will also speak at the podium. 
All right, so a lot of these teams have a lot of expectations, Luke, as they go into the season. We talked about Miami. We talked about Syracuse. We talked about Georgia Tech, Louisville. We have not talked about Florida State. Uh, a lot of people have some high expectations for Florida State. I feel like that happens a lot. It's happened over um, the course of the last few seasons. Are you drinking the Florida State Kool-Aid? Yeah, I am. Um, and not just because I think that they revamped the roster. They've got what I would call the most improved player in college football the last four years, and that's quarterback Jordan Travis. But maybe most importantly, because somehow Mike Norvell has cleaned up this locker room. He somehow was able to go in there and disassemble it, whatever the element was that was negative, that was bad, whatever that bad juju, that chemistry, he was able to completely revamp it, eliminate the components that were not going to do it the way he wanted to do it, and then go out and be very strategic and smart in his selection of the transfer portal players and in high school recruiting. And so, yeah, I'm buying it. I think they're closing the gap. I think they're getting better. And maybe most importantly, they believe they're good. When was the last time we saw a Florida State team that really, truly believed that they were good? And Florida State, when they're good, college football is better. Yeah, they definitely got some big-time transfers uh, from over there. Also, Big Ten media days begin on Wednesday in Indianapolis. Seven coaches are scheduled to address the media after league commissioner Tony Petiti, Petiti takes the stadium. Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh is not one of them. He will speak Thursday afternoon. Northwestern interim head coach David Braun will speak at 1145 Eastern. We talked about the situation at Northwestern earlier when we spoke about Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner. Uh, how do you expect expect Big, Big Ten Media Days to handle uh, Northwestern? Well, listen, I, I think they can only speak on what they're allowed to speak on, right? So that gives them a bit of an out. We heard Jim Phillips say that when we came on air today with his comments that, that he can't speak about things that may be in litigation. Um, I think they keep it about football. They keep it about the programs and the respective conference. If you're David Braun, the, the, the interim head coach, listen, you can only worry about what you can control. You just arrived. You're now trying to move this thing forward, do the best possible thing you can for the kids on that roster. So keep it about football, keep it about the kids, keep it about the conference, and don't answer questions that you can't answer. Uh, I mentioned also that Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is not going to be one of the uh, coaches that speaks tomorrow, but he will speak on Thursday. What are your expectations? What do you think that we're going to hear from Harbaugh? Oh, he's going to get flooded with questions if, if he's there. Um, you know, if, if a suspension comes down, will that impact whether or not he's going uh, to be on hand? But he's going to have to answer a lot of questions, and I'm sure a lot of the answers are going to be, I can't speak to that. And so, you know, I think it is distracting. It does take away from what's going to be a very good football team, a program that he's built into a contender. And it's unfortunate because it's this time of year when you're getting ready to go into camp, you're getting ready to get the guys all together and put your football team together, and now you have this fall on your lap. Uh, it's never a good feeling you're getting ready to kick off camp. You mentioned distractions, and I feel like this Michigan team has had a number of them over the course of the last few seasons. How do you expect that to impact them on the football field? You know, so far it hasn't. You know, we've talked about some of the dalliances with, with Jim Harbaugh and maybe, you know, considering the NFL and all of a sudden that becomes a storyline, it becomes a headline, and then, you know, they go to Europe and they do something. Whatever it may be, whatever this team needs to do, they seem to galvanize, and they seem to be a team that can handle distractions, if they can handle negative publicity or, you know, storylines and things in, in the headlines. And, and, again, you look at the schedule, if we're going to see a suspension of, of – of the head coach, I, I, I think that as long as you minimize changes to the day-to-day -day player schedule, 
You're going to have significant talent advantages, as I mentioned in our first segment, in each one of those four contests. And then you just hit the ground running and you roll on. I think this team is mature enough to not let things they can't control impact their performance on the field. Do you expect, uh, what do you expect out of this Michigan team as a whole when it comes to uh, the regular season and possibly going into the CFP? I think they're, I think they're going to be really good. I think J.J. McCarthy will have his best year uh, as a Wolverine. And as he goes, the Wolverines will go. Yep, we saw him be an absolute bucket last season. That's it for us on College Football Live. We'll be back tomorrow 3 to 4 as ACC Media Day and Big Ten Media Day kicks off.